Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us. And be sure to check out our book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Vecchione and Cindy LaJoy. And now today's episode. Today I'll be speaking with Tara Murphy. Tara Murphy is the mother of two children diagnosed with developmental disabilities. She has successfully secured effective therapies for them from medical insurance and appropriate educations from her school district. This includes multiple due process hearings. Six years of experience in advocating for her own children has made Tara want to fight for other children and families as well. Tara believes that advocating for children with disabilities should begin as early as possible in order to maximize their outcomes. Based in New Jersey, Tara is knowledgeable about state practices and the IDEA, which applies to children in every state. Tara is a SPAN resource parent, a volunteer advocacy ambassador for Autism Speaks, member of the Somerset County, New Jersey Advisory Council on Disability Issues, and member of the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, COPAA. So welcome to today's episode. I am speaking with Tara Murphy of the Parenting Frontier. I met Tara, I think, through Instagram, we we kind of messaged each other and we had a meeting and I was just really fascinated by her story into parent advocacy and particularly helping out parents with getting the proper educational therapeutic services for their kids and just all of the work that she's done. So I asked her to be on our show because I know I, I get a lot of emails from listeners and particularly about things like 504s, IEPs, laws, you know, what school districts are supposed to be doing and um, what, um, how parents can be best informed. So I asked Tara to be on our show today to talk about what she's done and how her own family's journey has tied into what she's doing now. So uh, after that very lengthy introduction, Tara Murphy, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you, Natalie. Wonderful to be here. And Tara, I know that your family's journey has a lot to do with what you're doing now. Can you share with our audience your family's journey, your story as a parent of children with developmental disabilities, and how that led you to form the Parenting Frontier and to do the advocacy work that you're doing? Sure. My oldest child, my first child, had missed developmental milestones. So by the time she was two years old, we were wondering what was going on. It took us several months to figure out what we should do, uh, which specialist to see for an evaluation, and then what the diagnosis meant and where to go from there. She was diagnosed with autism, 
And like most parents, we were completely unprepared for that. We had to give ourselves a crash course in the condition. So she was around three years old by this time. And we were thinking, what do we do for preschool? We had visited traditional preschools in the area where we lived and knew that our daughter would not be able to attend that kind of school and be successful. So we then went in search of a specialized school for autism. We had heard about them, but didn't know where to find them. So the search for the school is really what led us on, uh, <laughs> led us on the journey to becoming advocates for her. And like many of us, before we homeschooled, our son was in a couple of different options, one of which including public school. And it really seems like, you know, as a parent, the less prepared you are, the more your child will fall through the cracks. And even if you're well prepared, your, your child can fall through the cracks. So when did you make that transition from mom of kids that had developmental disabilities to saying, hey, okay, this is affecting more people and how can I help and how can I make an impact? It was after finding the right school and learning how difficult it was to get into the school and have our child get, get an education. Uh, we ended up in educational due process, which is litigation in my state. And uh, we ended up winning that case, but it was a long road. And I thought, no parent should have to go through this. This is insane. Uh, a few years later, we actually did have a second child. And the very same thing happened with that child, too. So at least we were prepared, but it also was another long road. The course of a due process takes about a year, and uh, it's, it's torture. So I felt with all of my experience under my belt, I needed to share that experience with other parents to help them because no parent should have to, have to go through this and to be as prepared as possible, as early as possible, really helps the outcome. We also had a situation where we appealed uh, our health insurance to cover some recommended therapies. Um, that was a lot easier than, than the litigation, but still you have to know how, how to go about that. So I have that experience as well. In speaking with other parents of kids that have developmental disabilities, it seems like when you get the diagnosis of having any type of brain-based disability, it, it seems like you're on your own after that diagnosis. You know, you, you may get referred to therapies or you may get referred to, oh, okay, we'll try early intervention or try this or that, but then that's really it. I mean, did you find that in your experience that when you received your daughter's diagnosis, was the diagnostician or, or were the doctors that were involved or in the diagnosing process were they able to refer you to any places to help with the next steps? Uh, yes, uh, but it was more of a sprinkling of resources here and there. Yeah. And, you know, and we were left with putting all the pieces together ourselves, yeah. um, given a lot of information at once. So yeah. we needed time to digest that and then try to put the pieces together. But you know, in my state, the main 
source is the, the public school system. They're supposed to, they're responsible for educating. And, you know, there is more to it than that. I mean, throughout the day, doing therapies after school is, uh, is another big part of it. Right. Uh, sometimes you get services on weekends or, or do things on weekends. That helps a lot too. Right. But yeah, we, we did feel very bewildered at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I I know it's not the fault of the physician. They're just, you know, they're doing their job diagnosing, but you you really, as a parent, when you have, especially an autism diagnosis or a diagnosis of an FASD or ADHD or any type of neurodiversity or developmental disability, it really seems like you, you get the diagnosis and then you're kind of on your own. You know, you maybe, like you said, I, I love how you said it, you get a sprinkling of resources. Yeah. And, um, for, for us finding, I think the best resources came from other parents with kids that had the same diagnoses. So I'm thinking that ties into how your work, the work that you're doing now, because you're professional, you're doing this professionally, but you're also doing this as a parent with lived experience. Let's talk about your current advocacy work and how the Parenting Frontier and what you're doing, how, how, did, how did that start? Last year during the pandemic, when I had more time to think about things and was unable to work outside the home, and I thought it was the, the right time. Um, most of what I do is consultation, uh, document review, and uh, make recommendations to parents to set them on the right path toward uh, the appropriate education and school programming. Uh, We also talk about uh, the insurance end of it too, because we've been through that, but it's a lot of consultation and trying to prepare parents. Some of them are already at the point where they they know they know things and they're not sure what to do next. Sometimes they're brand new to all of this and they're still picking up the pieces or the, the sprinklings and trying to figure out what to do. And you know, a lot of times it takes a while for them to come back when they've done their part of it and learned what, what they need to do next. And uh, I understand that because I've been there. It is really overwhelming. (laughs) It is, especially when your physician or the therapist says, okay, I recommend that the school does these services or here's the diagnosis, here's what should be happening. And those services are not in place for any number of reasons. It's really draining. And I can't imagine a year long of that. And all the while, your daughter, was she receiving any services during that year-long due process? Well, she was only because we did what's called a unilateral placement, where we said, you know what, we're not going to wait around for our public school system to approve this and fund it, because we know they're not going to, right. not, not unless their hand is forced. So we enrolled her in the school that we found and paid for it out of pocket mm-hmm. and sought reimbursement later. That is, that is legal in my state. Mm-hmm. It's extremely difficult because of the cost. Right. And many parents don't do it. I'm glad I did it. I have no, no regrets of doing that. 
um, because, yeah, if she was sitting around for a year, right. not getting any services or getting, uh, you know, something that was inappropriate and not making progress, it would have been worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, criminal, really. Yes, 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 absolutely. And again, what you did is amazing because I wonder how many parents even know that they could do that, you know, or like you said, can afford to do that too, you know. Again, people don't know, parents don't know that they have these options if they're denied of receiving their children, of receiving services and, you know, in either in the school or like you said, um, you know, through insurance or whatever. So let's talk about the parenting frontier. So, so you're fairly new. You started during COVID. What services, what supports, what do you offer to parents out there? It's mostly consultation with the parents, but I can also attend meetings with parents. Uh, sometimes they're afraid to speak up or they don't know which questions to ask. And and they're, they feel unprepared, so I can attend meetings also. And that's helpful to a lot of parents, especially when it's their first meeting and they don't know what to expect. And they go into a room with eight to 10 public school staff and it's just two parents. Yeah. Or maybe even one parent by themselves. Yeah. So it's very daunting. You know, that's a, daunting, intimidating. Yes. Yes. It's, It's almost like an inquiry. You know, I've been to quite a few of those as both, you know, before I became a a parent before, you know, my husband and I adopted our son, I worked in early intervention and as a music therapist. And I was actually one of those people who used to sit at, at those care meetings. And when I became a parent and when we started sitting in on those IEP meetings and 504 meetings and whatnot, I realized how daunting, intimidating, and how it's almost like, you know, this powerful, you know, group of people who are in charge of your child services, you know, educational plan, et cetera, and you or you and your partner, you and your spouse. And it, it really is, it's almost like a power thing. You know, it's like, wow, all these people. And I, I don't know. I don't know how it is for each state, but I know that when our son was in public school, either the principal or the assistant principal or somebody, you know, from administration would always sit in those meetings too. And, you know, it's, it's very intimidating when, when you talk to parents and let them know that you're able to do that either in person or I I imagine now virtually, they must be relieved. Yeah, I, I think so. A lot of parents feel alone. And they feel intimidated because it is intimidating by design. And yeah, if you can have anyone there to help out, it's good to take advantage of that. I remember my very first meeting and, you know, having no clue being on our own. It was just, you know, (laughs) it didn't go very well. Yeah. Especially too, when as a parent, every parent wants the best for their kids, especially when it comes to kids that have diagnoses that require extra services in school. So you do become, I know I have become emotional in quite a few of those meetings, you know, because these are services that my child is supposed to receive so that he or she can have the best care or the best opportunities in learning. And when you're told, you know, repeatedly. And again, you know, I'm transparent. That's one of the many reasons why we, we just started homeschooling because, you know, we were told repeatedly, oh, well, we can't provide that or we'll have to do something else. And 
I honestly, at the time, didn't know that what was involved in due process, except for the time, you know, that, oh, well, if you want to go through the due process, it can take up to a year. And I'm thinking, I, you know, we don't have a year. I can only imagine the relief that you must bring to parents to be able to say, hey, I can help navigate through this. What are some words of advice or encouragement for a parent who's just starting out in this process and and their child's attending school and they're saying, okay, we're going to have a 504 meeting or an IEP. What are some words of advice that you can offer to, to those parents? I would tell them that there is no dumb question when it comes to advocating for your child. You can always advocate by questioning everything. Just ask a lot of questions. That is a great sentiment. Oh my goodness. Can you share how listeners can get in touch with you or how they can follow you on social media and whatnot? Yes, I have an Instagram. It is Parenting Frontier. My website is theparentingfrontier.com. My email is advocate at theparentingfrontier.com. And my number is 973 973- Four zero zero nine nine seven two. I can talk anytime. Terrific. And we will be sharing all of that information that Tara just said on our program notes for today. So I like to end our episodes on a hope takeaway. And we're um, airing this in, towards the end of the summer. So a lot of parents are thinking about back to school and they're probably starting to get those notices or those emails or those letters saying, you know, we need to schedule your, your child's 504 meeting, IEP meeting, et cetera. What words of hope can you offer to parents that will give them hope in their journeys, especially beginning to navigate these new frontiers of special education? I would say, don't be afraid to take an uncommon path even if you feel like you're fighting alone. If that's the case, then it's probably the right move. If you feel pressured to give to your child what everyone else is getting in the community, but you don't feel it's the right fit, don't be afraid to go off the path. And uh, of course, question that, that kind of determination because it may not be the right thing for your child, even though everyone else is doing it. Wonderful words of hope. Tara Murphy, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And again, you can find Tara's information in today's program notes. Everyone take care and we'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.